0: Hello, and welcome to Abemus Papam, episode 257, Pius XI. Dear brothers and sisters, annuncio vobis. Annuncio vobis. Annuncio vobis gaudium magnum. Gaudium magnum. Gaudium magnum. Habemus Papam. So today's pope is super fascinating, and one you probably know very little about. He got to the papacy in a very different way than the others that we've been talking about recently, and once he was pope, he had to face some of the largest challenges of the 20th century. He was born Achille Ratti on May 31st, 1857, the son of a local businessman who ran and owned local looms for spinning silk. He entered the seminary in Milan at a young age and was ordained a priest on December 20th, 1879. He studied theology, canon law, and Thomistic philosophy in Rome and obtained three different doctorates and then returned home to teach at the seminary in Milan. Around 1888, he went to work as a doctor or researcher at the Ambrosian Library in Milan, where he worked on academic pursuits. If you can't tell by now, he was incredibly intelligent in a wide range of fields. But he wasn't just a nerdy, stay-in-the-library, never-go-outside kind of guy. He was also an accomplished mountain climber. He climbed several peaks in the Alps, including Mont Blanc and the Matterhorn. In a letter which he wrote early in his papacy, he extolled the virtues of climbing, writing, quote, While with hard work and effort to climb where the air is finer and purer, strength is renewed and invigorated, it also happens that by facing difficulties of all kinds, we become stronger to face the difficulties of life, even the most demanding ones. Contemplating the immensity and beauty of the spectacles that open before our eyes from the sublime peaks of the Alps, our soul easily rises to God, the author and Lord of nature. The majority of his career, though, he was a librarian. In fact, he was a librarian for decades. In 1911, he became the vice-prefect of the Vatican Library, which meant that when the prefect of the Vatican Library retired, he would take his place, which happened in 1914. If it weren't for Benedict XV, as we heard last episode, he probably would have spent his whole life in the Vatican Libraries. But in 1918, Pope Benedict XV sent Monsignor Ratti as his personal representative to the newly reformed country of Poland. And in 1919, he upgraded him to a full-time nuncio, and he was ordained an archbishop. When the communists in Russia invaded Poland in 1920, he was the only diplomat who refused to leave the city of Warsaw. He wasn't necessarily the most diplomatic man, though, and he got in clashes with the other nuncios and with the Russians and with the Poles at different times. In 1921, he was recalled to Rome and appointed a cardinal by Pope Benedict XV and then the Archbishop of Milan. And then, seven months later, Pope Benedict XV died. In the conclave that followed, several factions, most notably the ones surrounding the former Secretary of State Cardinal Mary Duval, were jostling for support, but none of the factions could garner the necessary majority. So eyes turned towards the new Archbishop of Milan, who seemed to be acceptable to all. It was a great choice. He took the name Pius XI, signaling his unity with Pope St. Pius X, and then he did something unique that hadn't been done in years. Instead of being presented on the inside of St. Peter's Basilica to the crowds who were waiting there, he went to the outside balcony. That balcony hadn't been used since the pontificate of Pius IX, when the Pope declared himself a prisoner of the Vatican. If you remember, the Vatican lacks some official territorial standing at this point since the loss of the papal states during blessed Pius IX's papacy. And so this is a signal of a new opening. And that might as well be where we start. Pope Pius XI began the process of negotiations with Italy, which would result in the reality of Vatican City State as we know it today. These negotiations culminated in the Lateran Treaty of 1929. They outlined the reality that the Vatican would be considered an independent nation, as it is now. It guaranteed several Vatican properties around Rome and the surrounding countryside as Vatican territory as well, and it regulated how the Church would relate to the Italian state, guaranteeing the freedom of the Church. With this new international reality of the Vatican city-state, the Pope no longer had to fear local Italian politics, but could truly become the moral leader of the world. And he had a lot to talk about, in part because his negotiating partner in the Lateran Treaty was one Benito Mussolini. As Mussolini's fascist party grew more and more powerful, the Pope became more and more concerned that Italian Catholics would jump on the bandwagon. So he published an encyclical in Italian, not in Latin, as was normally the way of doing these things, called Non Abbiamo Bisogno, which tore apart Mussolini's fascist worship of state. Which brings us to another major point in his pontificate. Pope Pius XI negotiated concordance with lots of other countries, and one that he was most hesitant about was Germany. He had hoped through the negotiations to secure freedom of religion and safety for Catholic Christians in what was now becoming Nazi Germany, but was quickly becoming clear that the Nazi regime was not to be trusted. With the help of the Cardinals of Germany and his Cardinal Secretary of State Eugenio Pacelli, Pope Pius XI prepared an encyclical against the fascist and racist German regime. It was a bombshell, carefully prepared, vigorously attacking the Nazi program. The Pope knew it couldn't be published openly. And the Nazi officials, if he tried, would stamp it out right away. So the encyclical was published in secret and hand-delivered to every parish in Germany. The priests were instructed to hide their copies until Palm Sunday of 1937, when every German priest would read the encyclical from their pulpit at Sunday Mass. The encyclical was written in German and called Mitbrenner Zorge. It clearly denounced the Nazi regime as being immoral and unchristian and to be utterly rejected. Consequently, the Nazi government increased persecution against Catholics in Germany. The Pope was deeply concerned about the plight of the Jews in Germany, and he tried to get his diplomats there to find ways to support them. He also tried to get Mussolini to intervene with Hitler first, and that, of course, didn't work. Then he strenuously condemned anti-Semitic actions such as the Kristallnacht in 1933. He also had to deal with the situation of the persecution of the Church in Mexico, which we've mentioned in past episodes, where the radical anti-clerical governments led to a series of Catholic priests being martyred in the famous Cristero War. The Pope did not only write about the pressing events of his pontificate, but also composed a series of tremendous encyclicals which have stood the test of time. His encyclical, Casti Canubi, in particular, about the dignity of marriage stands out, as does his letter on the anniversary of the canonization of St. Thomas Aquinas, Studiorum Ducem, in which he wrote about the preeminence of St. Thomas's theology and the preeminence of the Angelicum University in Rome. He writes, before all others, the pontifical Angelicum College where St. Thomas can be said to dwell. He canonized a large number of saints, including St. Therese, St. John Bosco, St. John Fisher, and St. Thomas More, St. Robert Bellarmine, St. John Vianney, St. Albert the Great, and he instituted the Feast of Christ the King. He was a hard worker, intelligent, and devoted to the service of the Church during an incredibly difficult time. The Second World War was just beginning when on February 10, 1939, the Pope suffered a series of heart attacks. He died in his rooms with his last words being, Peace, peace. He was buried in St. Peter's Basilica and was succeeded by Pope Pius XII. We will talk about him next time. Thank you for listening to Albemus Popham. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.